Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture has been written for our learning. And so we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, goes like this. That when we were gathered together on the first day to break bread, Paul was talking with those from Troas and intended to depart the next day. And so he prolonged his speech to midnight. Now, there were many lamps in that upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting by the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And sleep overcame him, and he fell from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down bent over him, took him in his arms, and said, do not be alarmed, his life is in him. Paul went back up and broke bread and ate and continued speaking till daybreak and then departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. What does a preacher do with this story? (laughs) Paul preaches late and a young man dies. It kind of reminds me of the joke of the little boy who's sitting in church and asks his mother one day, Mama, what does it mean when the preacher takes off his watch and very carefully places it on the pulpit as he begins his sermon? And the mother says it means absolutely nothing. Or it's like George Burns once said, uh, the best preaching, the best sermon, has a good beginning and a good ending and keeps those two as close together as possible. (laughs) But the truth is this strange story about Eutychus falling asleep is not really ultimately about long preaching or long-winded preaching, nor is it about a Lazarus-like resurrection miracle. What this story is really about is the Word of God. This story is about the Word of God. It answers the question, why do we read the Bible? It answers the question, why would we sit here and do what you're doing now, listening to preaching of the Bible, God's word. Why would you listen to preaching and teaching of God's word? And the answer we find in this strange story about Eutychus is this. The reason we read scripture, the reason that we will sit under biblical preaching and teaching is because the word of God kills us. And then the word of God quickens us, makes us Alive. Yes, the alliteration this morning is more as it sounds rather than it is spelled. He kills us through his word, puts to death that which needs to be put to death in us, but then the word of God quickens us, 
makes us alive again, resurrects us, kills us and quickens us. And friends, this is no little comfort to you and I. Just like that family in Troas that took the young man home, not a little bit comforted, so are we comforted with this work of God's word, killing us, quickening us again, because this is comforting us as the transforming work of God in our lives. Let me show you what I mean. The word of God we see in this story, first of all, kills us. Look at verse nine of Acts 20. Acts nine, the young man falls from the third story and is taken up dead. Now, just in case you think that this might be hyperbole, like was he really dead? Notice in verse seven that Luke writes, we were gathered together on the Lord's day. So Luke, the author, is actually here as an eyewitness in this moment in Acts, right? When we talked about this before, Luke at times comes in and out of the story. Luke is there. So let me just put it this way. If Luke, the beloved physician, writes a story saying that the young man is dead, then guess what? Eutychus is dead. And yet somehow, by the mercy of God, he's made alive. This is ultimately a story about the word killing us. Yes, I'm taking a page out of the ancient church fathers reading of this story, people like the English venerable Bede, who would say that this story is ultimately about how preaching kills and then the preached word will quicken us alive again. First, it kills. This is what the word of God does. It's the reality of what happens when we read the word of God. It convicts us, right? Romans chapter three, verse 23 We read God's word and we are instantly convicted of the fact that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. That's what scripture does initially to us is it shows us how much we fall short. We are not living up to the law of God. But it's not just that we're convicted and feel bad about ourselves. No, it kills us. Paul will go on in Romans 6 verse 6 to say the old self or the old man or the old woman in us has been crucified with Christ. Not just shown that we're guilty, but that word comes in and actually kills it. Kills the old self. This is what God's word is doing, is killing us. Killing those aspects of our life, our nature, that need to die, that need to be mortified, that need to be put aside. It's a reason John Stott quoting a Chinese Christian in the 1970s who was living in the underground Chinese church said of God's word, this book, every time I read it, the Bible kicks me. The Bible kicks me every time I read it. He says, the proof that it is the word of God is it speaks through its pages into my very soul. This is what happens as we encounter both reading and hearing the word of God is we are convicted. It's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to get to a place where we start saying, I think I've got it all together. We have those moments, right? When we think, wow, I, I'm actually living the good life. I, I've achieved a place of sort of moral height and things are going well. And we begin to believe about ourselves that everything is going well until in comes a prophet with the word of God like Nathan to King David saying, you are the man and we die. That word comes in and speaks 
truth to us, we die before God's word. And it happens again and again in our lives. You know, as we just got back Saturday night from Italy. We were there with a group of 48 from Christ Church, uh, walking through in the footsteps of Peter and Paul through, uh, through Italy, reading the book of Romans. And one of the most fascinating moments for me was being in Assisi. I'd never been there before. And when you come to the Church of St. Francis in Assisi. Now, St. Francis, for those of you who don't know, I mean, who's not listening to my podcast here? You've heard about St. Francis, but if you haven't about St. Francis, this guy who gave his life up to serve the poor. He was preaching to the poor, caring for the poor, and through Francis's ministry, radically changed his generation. I mean, Italy and that whole region and the world would never be the same after Francis's ministry. So you go to Assisi and you see the Church of St. Francis, which interestingly is built in the poor district, purposely because that's where he was ministering. But there's a statue of Francis, a younger Francis, an early rendition of Francis facing the church. It's a statue of Francis on horseback. It's a war horse. And Francis is in armor. If you've never been to Assisi, you can Google this and you can look and you see Francis on his war horse with his armor broken, bowing. It's sort of a posture of submission as he looks towards the church. And what this is commemorating is the fact that Francis had been pursuing a whole other set of ideals in his world. And it was in fact through a sermon that he had heard preached, the word of God preached over his life, where God began to break into his life. And slowly, bit by bit, Francis was put to death. His military career ambitions were put to death. His ambitions for wealth were put to death. All of the worldly ambitions, step by step, were put to death until he finally could fully submit and bow himself before the call of God. He needed to die before he could be made alive and become the man he was called to be to transform this world. And so it is for you and me. We must die. The word must come in and slay that which needs to be mortified and die within us. Jesus says this in Matthew 16. What does he say about following? He said, whoever would follow me, whoever would come after me, must do what? Must deny self, take up your cross daily, which means die daily, daily death, and follow me. This is what the word of God does in our lives. Comes in and slays us, kills us, puts the old man, the old woman, the old self to death again and again. But thanks be to God, the word of God doesn't just come in and kill us, but the word of God then quickens us, takes what has been made dead by the word, now alive, invites us into newness of life. Look at verse 10 in Acts chapter 20. Paul goes down, bends over Eutychus's dead body, takes him in his hands and says, do not be alarmed, his life is in him. It sounds a lot like the story of Elijah with the widow of Zarephath's son where he lays on top and calls this boy to live again. And so does this boy Eutychus come back to life. The truth is that it is the word that has killed him and it is the word of God that is quickening him, making him alive again. See, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, 
they preached the word in such a way that it was always and only a burden. They were really preaching half of the gospel. They were preaching about sin and about brokenness. They were all into the killing aspect of the word. But then after they would heap a burden on our shoulders, they'd step back and say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 23. Woe to you Pharisees. You place heavy burdens on other people's shoulders and then just watch them die in it. Jesus instead didn't just preach the burden. He did preach the reality of sin. He did preach the need for repentance. He preached the word in such a way that men and women would die at his word, but then he preached the other half of the gospel, the one that would resurrect them and quicken them and make them alive. Jesus preached the whole gospel to those who were now dead in the word. What does he say? He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my teaching upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus preaches the whole of the gospel, preaches the whole of the word a word that will kill and then make alive, quicken us to new life. I mean, arguably when you read the Bible, the whole story is about people being put to death and then made to life, brought to life again by the power of God's word. I think the best example of this is Ezekiel chapter 37. You know that story of the valley of dry bones, right? Ezekiel's brought to a valley of dry bones. Here, these words, he's there in the valley, It's full of dry bones, and and we're told, by the way, the bones are very dry. That's a key issue here, like very dead. There's no life, there's no potential left in these bones. And what does God say? God says to Elijah in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 4, he said to me, prophesy over these dead bones. Behold, um, he says, sorry, sorry, he said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I love it. Speak the word of the Lord over these dead bones. And what's the word of the Lord? Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Can you imagine him saying yes to this? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna talk to the dead bones. I'm gonna preach the word of God over the dead bones. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and sin had covered them. There was no breath in them. But he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is what the word of God does, kills and then quickens, slays us and then makes us alive. As my preaching professor Daryl Johnson used to say, remember, remember whenever you're handling the word of God, the word of God doesn't just inform, the word of God will perform. 
The word of God will transform. The word of God will do something and make things happen. This is what God has done with his word. He has filled his word with this performative power that will transform lives. And like I said before, this preaching the word, speaking the word over dead bones is not something that happens just once in our lives. It happens again and again, transforming us, killing and quickening, killing and quickening so that we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This is what God is doing in our lives. This is what the word is doing. And by the way, just as a side note, note that what happens in the Valley of Dry Bones is not, doesn't happen because of the responsiveness of the bones. The bones don't have potential for hearing. The bones are very dry. The bones are dead. Like Lazarus in the tomb when Jesus speaks in there. How responsive is Lazarus in that moment? He's dead. It is not the responsiveness of the bones that brings life. It's not about you desiring this just enough or preparing your heart just enough to receive this transformative work. No, it is not the, it's not the responsiveness of the bones that makes this happen. It is the resurrection power of the word. God has put into his word this power. What does Psalm 33 say? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Do you hear that? By the word of the Lord, there it all is. Everything was made at his command. Isaiah 55 verse 10 speaks of the performative power of the word of God. As we open the scriptures, how much power is there? He says, as the rain falls from heaven and waters the earth, preparing seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so goes forth my word. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. This is the power of the word of God to quicken and make alive dead, dry bones. The word kills and quickens. What does the centurion say in Matthew? I love that story. The centurion, the pagan, sees the power inherent in Jesus' word. And what does he say to Jesus? He says, just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word and my servant shall be healed. It reminds me of the 1990s in Zimbabwe. There was an evangelist who was going around passing out copies of the New Testament. And he came to one particular village handing out New Testaments. And one of the villagers, a particularly belligerent man, said, I don't want your New Testament. And the evangelist said, well, just, just take it. Just take it anyway. And he said, if I take that book, I'm going to rip out every page and roll cigarettes with the pages. And the evangelist, I think being rather creative, said, okay, just make me a promise. You'll read the page before you smoke the page. <laughs> and he said, okay. Two years later, back in Zimbabwe, came to the same village and there was the same belligerent man. And he came up to the evangelist and said, so I smoked my way through Matthew I smoked all of Mark. I smoked Luke and began to smoke John and then I came to John 3.16 and I stopped because those words came off the page. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He said, I stopped because suddenly 
that life came off the page and entered my life. And I am alive today in Christ because of his word. This is why Paul says with such zeal in Romans 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. God has put into his word the power to kill and to quicken. And it happens again and again. And here's the amazing thing we see in this story, this strange Utica story. It is not just that we see in the story God's word kills and quickens, but that it's actually of great comfort as a result. This is what we want. Look at verse 12. It says that they took the youth home alive and they were not a little comforted. In other words, Luke is saying they were overwhelmed with the comfort this brought. Why? It's the same for you and I. If you and I can understand the power of God's word to kill what needs to die in us and then quicken us to new life, we will realize the great comfort is that God is not done with us. God has given us his word, this ministry, this grace that will constantly be reforming and transforming us. God isn't done with you. God hasn't got to the place where you say, well, God did enough for me. You know, I got my toe inside the kingdom and I guess I'll just wait out the rest of my life. No, God is deliberately, intentionally transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. He's got a great renovation project that he's working in your life. These words from C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity. I love these. He says, imagine, imagine yourself as a living house. Lewis says, God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that these jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is he's building quite a different house than the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting up an extra floor there. He's running up towers and building courtyards. See, you thought that you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and dwell in it. This is the transforming, renovating work of God that he is doing through his word in our lives day after day after day after day. And it's a great comfort, just like those folks in Troas being comforted because this is what we want. We want to be changed. We want to be more than what we are. We don't want our sins and our limitations and our brokenness to be what defines us. We want God to do this ongoing work of transformation in our lives. It's a comfort to us individually and it's a comfort to us interpersonally in community. It's a comfort to us individually because it means you're not stuck. It means you're not static. It means what God is doing in your life is strategic and systematic to turn you into the image of his son. 
but it's also comforting interpersonally between communities because it's not just that he's doing something in you and with a few friends around you in the pews. He's doing this in the world. He's doing this transformative work in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhoods, in your nation, in this world because whosoever has ears to hear his word, this killing and quickening work will be done. God is in the business of transforming this world, not just your life, but your whole community and beyond with this performative word, killing and quickening us for his glory. As Bishop Todd Hunter says, humanity is still God's project. Remember in Ottawa, one of the first coffee appointments I had with a new parishioner was a young girl who was a PhD student at the University of Ottawa. And she had just started coming to the church and identified herself as an angry agnostic. I don't believe what you believe, but I've got some interest in sort of checking religion out, and so I'm gonna hang out. I think she was just lonely and was looking for a community because we had a lot of young 20-somethings. And so she came, and I watched every week how much my preaching of the word was killing her. I mean, she, you could see it on her face. She did not like a thing I was saying, but she kept coming week after week. The word was clearly killing her, but she kept coming. She eventually got baptized. She eventually became a church member. She eventually started serving in the life of the church. And my very last coffee appointment with a parishioner when I left Ottawa to come here was with the same girl. And she was telling me how now she was leaving for overseas to become a full-time Christian missionary serving the poor. Angry agnostic, a St. Francis-like missionary to the poor. What happened? A thousand moments of the word killing and quickening her. Killed and quickened by the word a thousand times over and it was still happening. And this is what God is doing in our lives. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. This is the promise we have. This is why this work of the word of God is so comforting to us. And you know what Eutychus' name means in Greek? It means fortunate one. And that's exactly what he is. He's fortunate. And so are we. That we have the word of God killing and quickening us, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. Oh, what a fortunate people we are. Do you desire the word of God? Do you make room for the word of God in your life? Why do we read the word? Why do we sit and listen to Bible teaching and Bible preaching? The strange story of Eutychus falling at a window tells us it's because the word of God will surely kill us and will surely quicken us again and again. And this is our great comfort. We are being transformed. What part of your life do you think right now needs to be put to death by the word of God? Well, if you don't know, it's okay. Just read the word. It'll find you out. And most surely, this is why you and I are fortunate. As we come to the word, he will do that work. Remember Ezekiel 37? Remember, it's not the responsiveness of the dead bones. It is the resurrection power of this word that does its work in our lives. 
what happens when we read the word, when we hear, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest the word of God, what happens? Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Come on, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. And what happens to those dry bones? Dem bones, dem bones gonna walk around. Dem bones, dem bones gonna walk around. Dem bones, dem bones gonna walk around because they hear the word of the Lord. See, the word of God is preached. The word of God is read. The word of God stands over a human life. And friends, there is surely a death that takes place, but there is most surely a resurrection. The word is spoken, the word is read, and there is a rattling of dry bones. Do you hear it? Do you hear it in this room? Do you hear it in your life? Do you hear it in this world? This is why we read the scriptures. This is why we stand under the word of God. This is why you put up with preaching Sunday after Sunday because this is how God kills what needs to die in us and makes us alive for his glory in this world. And oh, what a comforted, fortunate people we are. Alleluia. Thanks be to God.